Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm Sri, of course, one of the aforementioned CPG guys on your forever New York Giants fan. And today, Peter and I decided no baseball smack talk. Now relocated to Southern California. My co-host, of course, is PVSP, the VP of Partner Strategy and Dev at Fetch Rewards, a mobile loyalty platform. The one thing Peter and I completely agree on when it comes to sports is we're both Giants fans. How about that? So for the first time on this show, you will not hear a rivalry, and uh, no debate on that one at all. So join me in welcoming the other CPG guy, the man with the velvet voice and the radio face, Mr. Bond. How are you today, sir? Shree, I'm doing great, and I'm just hoping the Giants are going to be out playing, you know, the Chargers or the Rams, or I don't know what teams are still in L.A. Are they... Are they are there football teams in LA? I don't maybe not. But anyhow, I'm excited about today. Great conversation looking forward to. And as always, happy to be doing this with you. This is the best part of my week. I'm pretty sure it is yours as well. Thank you for trying to invent the new smack talk in football, Peter. I am a Giants fan from the Northeast, so the LA part just doesn't fly. You're the Dodgers. No, no, fan, no, no smack talk. I was I was joining in you in in smack talking Los Angeles. Smacking down the team. Southwest jointly That's with right, me. How man. about that? That's right. That's and right. y'all now know on the show where this is gonna head in terms of football. But thank you, Peter. But before we get to our guest, I want to remind our audience that all of our content including our series on profitability, a women's leadership series where Peter and I were able to contribute $8,000 to the Susan J. Kamen Fund. And our founders series can be found by visiting cpgguys.com. If you aren't already following us on LinkedIn, simply go to the search bar on linkedin.com, hit CPG Guys, the search box, and when you'll see the blue plus button, aka follow, and you can simply do that. That way you'll get to see all of the content we're producing. Hey, Peter. Is this a subscription platform? Uh, nope. Uh, everything we do, everything we produce, absolutely free. Absolutely, folks. So chime in, join the conversation, and be part of shaping the industry as we respond to the changing needs of our consumer. Peter and I have had the opportunity last year. We launched this podcast and over 125 episodes deep to work with brands, retailers, service providers. We've dived into data, analytics, insights, stack, devices, AI, yeah, even AI, and so much more. We're honored that our podcast attracts so many industry luminaries from notable brands, and today we're pleased to do the second part of a two-part series with WNS, a leading provider of artificial intelligence-led data and analytics services with a focus on sales, marketing, supply chain solutions for CPG and retail. Their analytic services enable client and professional services companies to develop a better understanding of their customers and business and provide insights-based decision support. What can be better than insights-based decision-making? Please join Peter and me in welcoming to the podcast, Sinan Gurmans, SVP of Data and Analytics based in Dallas for WNS, and Vidyotam Reddy, Director of Market Intelligence and Analytics at Mars. Sinan and Vidyotam, how are you guys today? Doing good. Hi there. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm very excited about our conversation today. Sinan, for the purpose of a multitasking and cross-functional audience, could you please first tell our audience 
where they can learn a little bit more about WNS and specifically what your team does at WNS. Of course. Thanks, Sri. Uh, you can find more about our data and analytics services at www.wns.com forward slash winning dash with dash insights, or you can just uh, simply type WNS winning with insights to Google. It will be the first organic link you will see. Or even better, if you like a personalized experience, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn and mention CPG guys in your note, and I'll be more than happy to provide a personalized briefing based on your role, your category responsibility. And uh, Shri, we talked uh, quite a lot about what we do at WNS uh, Data and Analytics Services in the previous episode, So, uh, and the audience can refer to that for more details. But you like, uh, like you mentioned uh, in the intro, in summary, uh, we are a full-service uh, AI-led data, artificial intelligence-led uh, data management reporting and advanced analytics agency serving the retail and CPG industries, primarily across sales, marketing, and supply chain functions. Thank you for that, Sinan. And uh, we, of course, will include site hyperlinks to everything you just mentioned in our episode Digital Liner Notes. So, folks, you all can catch that easily about WNS. With all of these popular topics you've referred to, data, analytics, AI, whatnot, right? Let's jump right into it because it's at CPG today in terms of decision-making is right at the intersection of all of this. So I'm gonna, my first question is actually gonna go to Vidyotam. So Vidyotam, why don't we start with what are the critical success factors? Maybe give us some advice on do's and don'ts for developing a global data strategy to enhance everything that can be done with the application of advanced analytic methods. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, really excited to be on the podcast today. Um, now, you know, analytics is obviously the buzzword today, right? You hear about it everywhere and lots of people are thinking and talking and, you know, and investing big dollars, you know, all over the world. Uh, and analytics should be the center of the conversation because analytics is the bedrock on which you can, you know, build robust growth, right? Or robust, you know, engines of growth. Now, there's no new news here, right? And what I'm seeing here is not the, the, the new news. However, the big question is, how does one drive the analytics agenda in a way that it's pragmatic, effective, and scalable, right? It's the trifecta that I think is ever eluding us, if you may. The analytics is a spectrum, right? It ranges from the basic what happened questions to the, you know, what can and is about to happen questions, right? So if you think of that spectrum, um, in my experience, um, we all, me included, by the way, early in my career, we all want to get to the high-end stuff. We all want to get to the sexy stuff, right? Like, you know, let me go kind of predict the future, if you may. Um, but we don't have much patience nor tolerance to pay attention to the fundamentals of global data strategies because they're not sexy, they're mundane, nobody really wants to talk about this stuff, you know. People who deal with data strategy usually were relegated to the basements of organizations, correct? Never to be let out, if you may. But the point is that, you know, to be able to scale advanced analytics, you need to base, basically pay attention to the fundamentals, right? So, um, you know, scaling advanced analytics applications is, you know, is a challenge primarily because it's either due to non-existent at worst, right? and poor at best coherent data strategies, okay? In a nutshell, the do's and don'ts, if you may have a global data strategy from my perspective are, first of all, <laughs> the basic stuff, have a data coherent, uh, you know, strategy, okay? Uh, don't base the strategy on the, on the number of zeros in the spend line. In my experience, actually, what I have found is that, you know, the, the number of zeros 
you know, covariance in, 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 in the spend is really has no correlation to the outcome. In fact, the more spending power one organization has, the more likely you are to not have a coherent approach. And this is, you know, this is what I've experienced in kind of, you know, my, my, my 25 years of doing this stuff. Um, Cross-enterprise data assets need to be built with a reusable from the get-go mindset. You know, we're all about hydrating data lakes these days in organizations where very little attention is paid to reusing those data assets. Uh, figure out a way that the business can stand up and own master data. Today, master data, if you may, is owned only by the IT functions, even among those where they're actually paying attention to it. So I think it's high time that the businesses started owning master data protocols. And finally, use the Pareto approach, folks, right? 80-20. Don't go and try to boil the ocean here because it's not going to happen. So figure out the 20% that drives 80% of your strategy. Uh, just maybe, if I may just add a few things about uh, the master data management. Uh, we talked about uh, some of the large uh, artificial intelligence-led programs that uh, WNS runs for some of the global CPGs in the first episode. Uh, how we saved a large CPG $50 million, you know, improving their master data management quality by 60%. I won't get into too much detail there, you know, but I encourage our audience to listen to that episode if they haven't yet. Uh, but in addition to these, uh, you know, absolutely the data management uh, piece uh, is, is very critical. The business ownership is very critical. Where I think we really found our niche is in our ability to connect the business domain, uh, the knowledge of business domain, to data management, uh, to data science, and uh, eventually to actionable insights and uh, back to business value. Uh, and in order to achieve this, uh, we typically adopt the data and analytics center of excellence approach. And in fact, in most of uh, some of our most uh, recent implementations, uh, now we're starting to call it data monetization center of excellence uh, because we brutally focus on the culture of business value, uh, plus uh, an augmented governance to ensure efficient collaboration, consistent and self-explanatory data definitions. Uh, and finally, the use of uh, intelligent cloud, uh, I think also makes a big difference for long-term adoption and, and value generation in these programs. Sanan, thank you for that. Welcome back to the podcast. Vidyotham, it's such a pleasure to have you join us. You had me at hydrating data lakes. <laughs> that just treat, write that one down. We're going to start using that more frequently. So uh, let's, you talked about some great practices. By the way, your mention of the analyst in the basement running all the numbers. Of course, the iconic movie Office Space with the guy in the yep. basement and the stapler just came right right to my head oh, yeah. it's flooding through yeah. and then his <laughs> office space keeps getting smaller and smaller right smaller and smaller get a get, get my stapler um so what i'd like to know is really we talk a lot about the the research and the insights that come out of that research what i'd like to know is how do we close the gap between the insights from research and the activation that can really address the issues that surface through that process yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, being being in the analytics space and driving, you know, best practices based on consumer behavior analytics, and you're now more kind of, you know, algorithm-driven big data kind of solutions, if you may, I think the challenge still remains the same as, you know, is how does one implement what, you know, what has been learned, right? And how do you kind of reduce that 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 gap? And so when you say, when you say this closing the research to activation gap, to me, 
it's not just about you know just implementing what you've learned. You know that's important. Don't get me wrong. You know that that that's important, but it's also the the virtual cycle of learning, implementing quickly what you've learned, and then learning the effects of that pretty quickly, and then using that to close the loop back to the front end of it. You know what I mean? So it's that is that virtual cycle. So to me, that's the that to me is you know is is, is the whole equation if you make closing the research gap. So I just want to lay that context for how I think of that. Now, um, you know, if you if you think of if you think of um, you know CPG, especially big CPG companies, um, it's it's usually an industry you know that has complex internal structures, way too much data, long decision cycles, and what takes days. Say, for example, like a company in, in a company like Amazon would maybe take weeks and sometimes months within you know big CPG environments, right? You know, what we've done is we're 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 trying to close that. Um, and closing that research gap to me is we're trying some really cool experiments, if you may. So one of the things we've done is we've created a system in China where we can actually, we're on two week learning cycles for media, uh, you know, impact, right? So we create, we create formats of media, we throw it on a platform and we expose it, we expose it to enough people that we learn from it. And then we re-implement it on the front end. So I see a, um, a, a lot less of that, Peter, but to me, if you could get behind that virtuous cycle, of you know getting behind the you know getting behind the learning implementing it that to me is going to close the entire cycle of you know of of research to uh, to implementation right you know pricing um, is an example uh, for example you know on the pricing piece um, I found in my experience a lot of time we find pricing insights and we we give them to the business and the business will say to us. Well, uh, I'm sorry, but I can't implement your fight your findings for at least three months because that's how much twelve weeks is my kind of you know to market implement implementation you know um, window and and th- there's pieces like that that I think you can address and I don't think it's so much the learnings themselves it's the implementation and the learning from that actually that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and if I may also uh, just just add on top of that, guys. Obviously, you know, building building our insights and analytics within those business process cycles uh, extremely critical. Uh, and it may sound cliche, uh, given how much we talk about personalization uh, in this podcast in general, right? I mean, we spend so much time trying to understand the end consumers uh, of our products and build meaningful relationships with them, which is great. And that's what we all should be doing. But uh, we often fail to drink our own champagne uh, when it comes down to the consumers of our data, analytics, and insights, I think. Uh, And let me take a minute and show how a personalized and and, uh, scalable approach to the data analytics uh, would work. Uh, In the not-so-distant past, uh, I had the opportunity to work with Vidyotnam and one of his business segment teams uh, as they successfully launched a direct-to-consumer business, e-commerce business in China. Uh, They needed management dashboards and insights uh, into their business performance, of course. Uh, So we quickly identified four key persona profiles. These are the chief financial officer, head of supply chain, head of direct-to-consumer, who is also responsible for marketing CRM with his own budget, uh, by the way, uh, and the head of operating partner, as they use a fulfillment partner during the early stages, uh, and then uh, they internalize the fulfillment uh, after a while. So I had the opportunity to run a three-week dashboard design sprint uh, with this team in Shanghai. Uh, First, uh, we started with capturing uh, carefully framed and unconstrained uh, business questions that were lingering in the minds of these, uh, the management team, uh, and separately for every one of them. Uh, we also understand uh, their goals and objectives. And in parallel, we assessed data, 
the tool availability and other dependencies, uh, the constraints, if you will, uh, and conducted a very practical value-based prior, uh, prioritization. Uh, we then turned these business questions into prioritized business questions into metrics, KPIs, visualizations uh, for each persona, as well as a strategic view where different functions need to collaborate uh, a little more effectively, right? Uh, and of course, um, I think the frequent reviews and feedback, even if it's for like 15 minutes a day, is absolutely critical for long-term adoption. Uh, I believe we ended up like a version 18 or 19 in a three-week uh, design sprint. Uh, and uh, one other very effective ta tactic uh, I found to maximize adoption is the use of real data uh, instead of dummy data uh, during these sessions. This way, uh, we're able to conduct a real business discussion uh, instead of a theoretical technical requirements gathering discussion. Uh, we then visualize what we can today and lay out uh, a data and analytics capability development roadmap for the missing gap. Uh, and also important to highlight this, uh, this whole prioritization and road mapping exercise is an ongoing process in line with ever-changing business requirements. Thank you for that, Sinan, for chiming right in. You know, in our first episode with you and WNS, we spoke about marketing mix modeling budget allocation, and overall investment optimization. You know, These days, of course, in the industry, we call it revenue growth management or RGM, which is all about investment optimization. Uh, so Vidyodham, what's your perspective on RGM and investment optimization? And how can CPGs make better investments through being informed by data and analytics along these areas? Yeah, so Sri, I would say that, you know, my, my general my general theme on this or my general learning from this is that the math to evaluate how effective spending on growth levers needs to be done or, or implemented has not changed, right? It's not changed for the better part of 80 years, you know, so there's no new, there's no reason to invent any new methods or any new mathematics or even more importantly, like I call it, no, no need for inventing new wheels here, right? However, um, the opportunity to me is how these methods are leveraged. Um, typically, broadly, in my experience, the application of, opt opt of these optimization methods, if you may, are seldom leveraged to drive long-term strategic decisions on how to allocate spend, right? Um, they're, they're, they're usually utilized, um, you know, for short-term decision-making. And there's a real reason for this. The real reason for this is that all measurement tools out there are primarily focused on evaluating short-term spend, right? So you look at your short-term implementations, you evaluate them, and then you use those as a proxy for long-term you know, spending decisions. And I think that that's an opportunity for us as an industry, as an application, as a method to change. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the discussion within Mars. And, you know, and that's the work that my team is doing. And by the way, we're working with the CNAN and WNS and CNAN's A-team of analysts to take the long view on the topic, right? So we recently created a measurement framework and we've, we're kind of in cycle three of doing this for one of our key segments and markets, right? Um, and the idea is we're taking a long-term you know, um, view by taking long-term spending data. So we, by, by definition, don't rely on the past year spend. We actually look at at least three to five, potentially even 10 years of spending data, okay? That in itself is a, is a revolutionary thing for a CPG company because You'll hardly ever find an organization that has 10 years of, of you know, continuous data on anything for that matter, right? So, but, 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 you can, but you can do this if you're planful about it. So the idea is we take that, we analyze it to come up with your high-level spending recommendations, right? So we set the watermarks, if you may, for spending decisions based on that long-term view. 
And then what we do is we take these long-term response curves and then we infuse those into the more day-to-day tactical tools, right? So big data and digitizing data assets has given us this opportunity, right? You have your, your daily SRM optimization tools, right, down to the mechanic tactic level. You have your media planning tools now because of the g- digital feedback loops of saying, how do I change my reach and frequency curves based on, right, based on, you know, how I invest and how I spend. So, but what we're doing is that we're taking these long-term spend um, learnings, infusing them into tactical tools, and we're letting and, and empowering businesses to, uh, you know, to make those day-to-day decisions based on long-term, you know, uh, response curve. So I, I think I think that's the big opportunity, and that, that's how I would recommend a change. Vidyotham, uh, your deconstruction of this is phenomenal. I, I'm uh, mesmerized. So thank you for this. You're you're putting it in very relatable terms, and I know our audience is going to love that. So let's dig a little deeper here on the value equation. From your experience, investing against big data and analytics, is that more focused on driving the top line or the bottom line, or, or maybe it's both? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, great question, Peter. Um, this, is, this is the big trillion dollar or even multiples of trillions of dollars question, correct? It used to be we used to say a million dollar question. I think we're way beyond that. We've got to add many, many more zeros to that now in the paradigm of the digitizing of data assets. Now, if you think of the promise of digitizing data assets at the, you know, at the horizon of the big data promise, you know, the, the whole idea of building or implementing big data capabilities was very much to drive top lines, right? To drive, you know, um, you know above average innovation, above, above average growth, et cetera. In my observation, albeit a very CPG-centric observation, because that's where I've spent most of my, you know, my career and my experience, this promise is far from achieved. At least I've not seen very clear evidence of it, right? In other words, I've seen the big data investments drive a lot of the bottom line efficiencies as opposed to driving your top line above average category growth, for example, or above average innovation performance, above average consumer-centric solutioning, if you may, right? It's the little guys who don't have the big data resources the big guys have that have been basically eating the lunch uh, from the big guys. And I happen to be working for one of the big guys, right? So anyways, so I've experienced it painfully at times, but but it's, but it's a fact. So I, I've seen overwhelming evidence of driving bottom line outcomes. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very happy that we're driving these efficiencies, frankly, um, you know, in the matrix. However, a, de- a decade plus of being on this journey in my analysis is that there is a discussion that needs to happen here, right? We need to be at least having a conversation about, guys, is there ever a way to drive top line? And I think there is. Um, so that's the point here. So if we were to correlate the entities, right, with the largest war chests in the space, right, like I was just saying before, um, who have overwhelmingly invested in digitizing data assets, they're not necessarily the ones that are consistently delivering above average category performance. It's a fact, right? You take the top 10 CPG companies and you'll see that they have a very cyclical way of delivering performance. They're not like, you know, they're not like consistently delivering above average. So, so I'm on a journey, like, you know, like you asked the question, I'm on a journey as well to objectively understand, you know, uh, this, like, and, and, and in my work and my discussion with Sinan, you can imagine we have very exciting conversations uh, on, on, on this topic, um, this is actually a topic of great interest for me. Uh, but just to answer your question, you know, straight, I, I do think that uh, they were, big data has driven overwhelmingly bottom line versus top line performance. 
Yeah, and if I if I may also maybe add a few few things on top of that, guys. I mean, I think it would be safe to say that uh, I built my analytics uh, career on initiatives that focused on innovation and top line growth uh, significantly more than uh, more than cost cutting, uh, and it's a lot more challenging for sure as. Uh, it's not as easy to quantify the net incremental of your incremental impact of your interventions uh, when we talk about sales growth uh, versus uh, cost reductions, right? Uh, in the first episode, uh, we mentioned WNS as a leader uh, amongst this competition in terms of the percentage of our revenues being tied to certain performance-based outcomes. In fact, uh, our ability to evolve into a performance-based client engagement maturity is also very different uh, when we look at top-line growth versus cost reduction opportunities. We can make quick assessment, uh, a quick assessment and contractually uh, sign up to reduce your finance and accounting or procurement costs, sometimes even from day one, right? Um, because cost-related activities are very transactional in nature. They're very easy, easy to measure. Uh, it's not the same in analytics that focus on top line, top line growth. Uh, even agreeing on the right methodology to measure true incrementality uh, takes time. Uh, and a working relationship maturity of uh, at least going through one real experimentation cycle in the market with our clients. Uh, drawing a real baseline, on the other hand, uh, and identifying the impact of every possible reason that may be changing our business is, is not as straightforward uh, in CPG, right? Uh, and, and I tell you why, uh, not maybe not all the reasons, but at least some of the analytically related ones. Like uh, in digital, that may be the challenge of a accurate uh, multi-touch attribution model, right? Uh, in physical, it may be your ability to quantify cannibalization, forward buying, uh, pantry loading effects. But again, uh, there is a big difference between a perfect decision and a better decision. And a perfect decision is a theoretical concept. It's not real. Uh, what really matters, as we've been talking about, is uh, are we able to make better business decisions with the use of data and analytics than we did before? Uh, meaning we are generating more value for our stakeholders. Uh, and I'll share a very exceptional, very quick uh, example from a recent uh, Fortune 300 client of ours. Uh, who are in the automotive and heavy truck aftermarket and salvage uh, parts business. Uh, we've recently launched a customer segmentation and digital campaign management program with them. And we were able to agree to a top-line performance-based outcome from day one, uh, as the client never executed any segmented and targeted campaigns uh, in the past. Uh, and in that low level of uh, maturity, uh, we were confident about the incremental value we will drive on top of their existing business base. Uh, I bet you won't find easily uh, such examples in the industry, Sri and Peter. So, Peter, are you from the automotive and heavy truck aftermark and aftermarket and salvage parts business industry? I uh, can't say I am. You're not betting either in that case, it sounds like. So, Sinan, that was actually a good summary right there of the of an opportunity or a case study right there from an industry quite different to CPG that may be directly applicable here. But, you know, Sinan, part of, the, part of this is you've been an analytics leader for quite a time over your career, kind of built it, as you mentioned earlier. And in the process, you've obviously worked with a ton of Fortune 500 brands, some of the largest brands possible. Over the course of time, though, Sinan, as things have matured in data and analytics, what trends have you seen in this evolution and are there predictions or forecasts you would make as to where this is going to go? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, and, and a loaded question, Sri. Uh, I'll try to focus uh, on some of the key, uh, most important parts. I think uh, if you look at you know uh, 20 years back uh, compared to now, I think the data and technologies have evolved uh, and, and driving significant improvements in our ability to communicate and influence, right? That's for sure. But I think uh, the fundamentals of building and, and managing relationships uh, are, are still the same. Uh, about 20 years ago, when I started my analytics career, uh, most big CPG, uh, they were in the initial stages of evolving from shipment-based data and analytics to syndicated point of sale, right? Uh, the data that we were uh, buying for Nielsen and IRI at the time. Uh, and, and consumer focus was limited uh, with relatively small-scale market research and focus groups, which arguably represented the overall market. Uh, consumer advertising was at mass scale, mostly one-way, right, TV, radio, etc., and not really traceable uh, to the persona. Uh, then uh, big CPGs started uh, building direct retail feed point-of-sale databases uh, which with access to store-level granularity. I think that uh, changed quite a bit. They started coupling these with uh, geospatial data sources, which we talked about in the previous episode, uh, and this enabled better localization capabilities, right? Local assortment, local pricing, uh, promotion tactics, etc. Now, uh, fast forward to today, uh, with the accelerated adoption to ever fast-changing digital world, it's the age of channel explosion. Uh, it's collecting personally identifiable information and turning this information into meaningful communications and relationships with consumers. Now, when we say personally identifiable information, it has added the fourth dimension to the vast amount of data that CPG need to manage to keep ahead of competition. Historically, CPG is managed, uh, used to managing product dimension, market dimension, and uh, also the time dimension, right? Uh, it's not an additional data source. It's the fourth dimension, uh, the personal identifiable information. And variance in local regulations ma make management of this type of information very complex. But imagine all these data sources I mentioned earlier uh, integrated together along with internal data sources. Maybe not so much for, fun for many to do, uh, but a very exceptionally valuable asset for any CPG company today. I don't think many have cracked the code on this yet. Uh, Vidyotnam and I uh, did a few of these uh, together in our careers uh, in the day, uh, and some of those databases are still up and running, uh, fueling various reporting analytics insight generation capabilities. I would definitely love to see more, success, uh, more successful examples, uh, including the PII dimension in the CPG industry. And of course, not to mention, uh, we're already helping various CPG and retailers with the same and looking forward to do more in the future. You know, Shri, this first-party PII data thing sounds really interesting. I got to dig into more of this. This this sounds like it could be the future. Um, just little joke from people know my background. In any event, uh, the the data analytics and loyalty CPG guys <laughs> spoken of. So, Vidyotham. Terms like uh, PIM, Product Information Manager, DAM, Data Asset Manager, that's kind of like the, the sexy talk of our industry right now. That's where everybody wants to play. But let's kind of get down to the, the, the meat and potatoes of the business, right? I want to understand about the value of pricing. You know, how does that work in the CPG world today that seems to be more about, you know, everyone's gravitating towards customer experience. Now, how effectively do you think 
price is still being used as a strategic lever in the industry? Peter, thanks for the question. Um, in my opinion, it is it is the it is the most under leveraged of most effective growth levers, if you may, if you ask me, right? Uh, within within the CPG industry, particularly, um, and and I think that there's there's much opportunity there. Um, so we spend a lot of time, you know, digitizing our data assets, optimizing media and trade budgets, and you know. Um, but I do think that the next frontier is a deep enterprise-wide understanding of, you know, how pricing actually works, right? And how to activate it as a legitimate long-term growth lever versus the, today it's more of a knee-jerk, opportunistic, let's close the profit hole, you know, activity um, that it enjoys, you know, among the, among the top, you know, top, top players of the industry, um, you know. It, it, it basically is cost plus. It's, you know, it's like the, the modeling, if you may, for pricing today within organizations for the most part is cost plus. It's competitive based um, and close the gap to my business model or my profit model. Right. Uh, and and, you know, and and the idea is that because of that, I do think that it has led to some very dysfunctional uh, practices. So let me give you an example by what I mean by that. So if you really go out there and do some research, and I've done this, so I know the answer, if you may, is that you would, you would expect that most companies are taking pricing actions based on opportunities presented to them, correct? Not true. The likelihood of companies taking pricing actions are directly tied to their financial or fiscal planning cycles. Um, and so there's a question to be asked there. So if we're all about data-based decisioning, correct? Um, I would say price is the place where that's been least evident. And I think that it's, 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 there's an opportunity for us to change that. So the idea is that let's, let's step back. Um, let's, try and, let's try and pay attention to this. Let's first of all agree that it can be used as a long-term growth lever, right? And I, I am, I'm at the helm of some teams where, you know, we've done analytics and we've done the analytics that have, um, you know, given teams the confidence to go take pricing and they took pricing for the first time in 10 years, right? So those are the things that really, you know, I, I think I think they should be well past us. Um, like I said, it's the, it's the least understood, but also I think the one with the most opportunity uh, for, for for growing longer term. And if I if I may also add a few cents on on top of what Vidyotnam said, uh, of course, uh, what Vidyotnam highlighted around agility, flexibility required for for these pricing decisions and process is is very important. Uh, but I also like to highlight that. Uh, with more CPGs uh, getting access to direct store-level point-of-sale feeds from retailers, right, opposed to, you know, grouped uh, syndicated point-of-sale from Nielsen and IRI. Um, I mean, Nielsen and IRI don't give us that granularity of store-level, right? Uh, let me share a, a large digital transformation case study from uh, one of the largest convenience retailers in the world as I believe CPGs have a lot to learn uh, from retailers, especially on localization, right? Like uh, managing uh, local pricing, for example. Uh, the objective of this convenience retailer was to boost their retail sales with data and analytics. And 
the scope of uh, the project included uh, store clustering, out-of-shelf reduction, assortment optimization, everyday pricing, uh, as well as uh, promotion optimization. Uh, obviously, the store clustering is a foundational enabler for most of these activities. Uh, we first clustered their stores uh, based on their sales characteristics. And uh, very quickly, one cluster uh, stood out significantly with its skew towards larger pack sizes relative to, to the rest of the other stores, so bigger items. And this is a convenience uh, environment, right, where most things are in smallest packs possible. So with this insight, uh, we further analyzed this, um, this cluster, and we realized that there were no large grocery stores uh, within a couple mile radius of these stores and a lot of residential development. So the shoppers use these gas stations as grocery fill-in uh, stores due to their convenience. Uh, and when we simply looked at the pricing elasticities of these items uh, in these stores, uh, to nobody's surprise, uh, we realized these large pack size items were not elastic at all. Meaning, you know, if the pricing changed, uh, it didn't really impact demand uh, significantly. So what do you do? Uh, we raised the regular prices on these items. Uh, the consumption demand didn't decline at all and the margins were off the roof. So to Vidyatnam's uh, earlier point, uh, to tie it back uh, to Vidyatnam's earlier point, the question, uh, if you're a global company, how do you scale a valuable insight like this across the globe? And the answer to that uh, is a global uh, data and analytics center of excellence, right? That would help do that. Uh, and the, the program that I mentioned um, has now scaled uh, across 16 plus countries globally. All right, we're gonna get to one of a topic that Sinan and I frequently discuss outside of this podcast because we just find it to be a fun topic and that is D2C media and promo budget. Is it marketing? Is it trade above the line, below the line? Where should this, in y'all's opinion, belong in the industry? Yeah, I can I can go first. Um, I'm I'm glad Sri, you and Sinan are are you know passionately discussing this because this is a this is a pet peeve of mine as well, right? As you can all imagine. Oh, video Tom, I've been dealing with it for five years since I moved <laughs> over from brick and water into yeah. the e-commerce and now whole swing back, right? Yeah, I'd 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 love to I'd love to grab a beer sometime and 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 join the both of you on that conversation. Looking forward to it. Or even Peter, probably you could join it too, and probably you'll have a good conversation. But I think the way to think about this, in my opinion, is that um, first of all, ecom D two C are are not tactical levers. They should not be viewed as just another channel where we're selling stuff, right? I think that to me is the biggest is the biggest you know, you know um, point of view. Um, it should be thought of and leveraged, or these places should be thought of and leveraged as strategic ways to communicate with our customers or our consumers, right? Uh, the the owner, in my in my opinion, the owner where this should sit or who owns the budget, if you may, should be whomsoever has the decisioning rights on the strategic growth agenda. Now, you know, one would say, well, uh, shouldn't it be the one who owns the growth agenda? In my opinion, everybody who's paid to lead at the company owns the growth agenda, but not everybody who's paid to lead at a company who owns the growth agenda respectfully has the decisioning rights on the growth agenda, right? So I think that to, to kind of put some more flavor on this or to kind of you know cut to the chase, it should be placed with those who had the decisioning rights, right? The accountability and the responsibility, if you may. Now, if there was a need, however, to build a hierarchy of where this sits, then most likely the first consideration is whether the business is a pure play, right? Is that your only channel of selling stuff, if you may, or 
communicating to consumers, then in that case, then probably you can make a case for this to be part of the operation side of the house. But however, most businesses are not, right? Um, and especially the businesses that I come from, CPG is not. The chances are that we're delivering product through multiple channels, right? Then I would say that it absolutely has to sit within the marketing organization, right? Never IT or finance. Once again, this is my kind of point of view, uh, my perspective on this. Um, like when we grab that beer, probably I can provide more more details as to why I believe this with a passion. But I do think that it should be part of the you know part of the marketing um, side. I, I, I see a lot more movement to place this responsibility within the IT side of the organization. And that's because, you know, technology typically is the backbone of how you service these, you know, consumers who are in this, in this channel, right. Or interface. Um, but however, without marketing involvement, I think that you, you lose the nuance of the consumer, you know, insight, right. Of the, of the behavior insight, if you mean that, that's why I was saying that it should be there now, you know, however, the, the other thing is that, you know, the, the, the huge broadside, you know, in a in in a world that is more and more consumer centric is when you place it within the IT organization. So, anyways, long story short, in my mind, it should be with marketing. And finally, I think the key question should should be how do we grow, and then everything else that follows should be really structured around that. So, place it where you need to place it, but place it in a place where you know it makes the business grow. Yeah, Shri, I won't take much on, on, on this one. Uh, I agree with Vidyotnam, but uh, one thing I think is more, most important is, uh, especially in a large CPG environment, I think it has to be a separate PL, right? Uh, and it needs a very entrepreneurial leader uh, who, who can work around various silos and, and get away with new ways of working. Uh, Shri, I mean, given your vast experience in this area, I'm really, really curious to hear your perspectives. So this is actually pretty straightforward. First, let's hit up the the budget piece of this. The the uh, what what you really alluded to, Vidyotam, which is more along the media and things of that nature. It's called marketing mix for a reason, right? So it's fairly straightforward where the budget should belong. I mean, it's the word marketing is already in there, so there's nothing to debate. You know, I I, I tell people this world of digital is a lot more marketing than it is selling. At the end of the day. And, you know, partnerships with retailers in terms of search, in terms of uh, banner ads, and all the ecosystem conquesting things that lie on the website largely is driving brand awareness. It's no different than other parts of the media mix, which is largely brand awareness. It just so happens on the digital journey that you get full funnel activation. To me, that is like excitement for marketing 305, not disappointment or something mystical, but that also, Vidyotam, if you note, results in a lot of conversation about measuring ROAS very actively on digital, whereas it's much more passive offline, which is not actually right. Like the measurements need to be apples and oranges. Everything spent digitally influences the in-store business model the same way as any other marketing campaign does. So need attribution should be there. So I have a very strong viewpoint that that's the way it should be. And it's not going to change at this point because I've had experienced this over years. And then on the D2C side, Sinan, the question is, why does a brand get into D2C in the first place? If that's the native infrastructure and backbone of the brand in which they launch D2C, then that's always going to be its own PNL. It should be run that way, and that's how it should be scaled. But if you're an existing scale brand, I, I see D2C as a completely different purpose. It's a lot more about innovation, trial, getting the data, 
qualifying an innovation to receive the scale in store when when taking it to a retail partner of choice and really the best opportunity for a brand to develop a relationship with the consumer run surveys engage the consumer in co-creating innovation and creating a relationship of value with the consumer that the brand may still choose to activate at retail on a store shelf so fairly straightforward to me it's it's really if if you're a d2c native that's how you're going to do it go forward because you know that ecosystem pretty well but if that's not what you've been dependent on scale and you have it elsewhere there's a role d2c can play in your life but with sinon i'm going to jump into the closing section of this podcast so let me remind our audience first of all that all our content can be found on cpgguys.com and the best way to join this growing family and audience those that contribute to this changing transformation that Sinan and Vidyodham have just discussed in the industry whether it be data analytics top line bottom line Peter I feel like we covered a ton in this episode what do you think Listen I didn't even get to ask these guys how the B side of classic rock and roll artists like Green Day and the Rolling Stones contribute to leadership. By the way, for those millennials, B-side, <laughs> it's when we used to buy music on vinyl and they were singles that went, went at 45 revolutions per minute and it was on the other side of the course. Song. Whole nother story. Look in the liner notes for the Easter egg, people. You're going to love it and follow these Ooh. guys on LinkedIn. <laughs> it, it They are epic in what they talk about. You really should pay attention to this stuff. But Shri, blown away phenomenal episode so so we really hit the spectrum on this one video them for another episode i'll save what is the r square of the leadership of the rock bands that they <laughs> that peter just introduced to us but i want to you, you know for our audience here the best way you can participate in shaping the show who comes to the show topics you'd like to hear about go to linkedin.com go to the search box simply type cpg guys hit the blue plus button aka that's the follow button and be part of this dialogue and influence it. Another way you can do that is go to ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys. Leave us a rating and review on the Apple platform. But in the meanwhile, tell us what you want from this show. That's as easy as it gets. Sinan and Vidyodham, thank you to both of you for joining us on this episode and enriching the world with data and analytics. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Mr. Bond, another fun episode. Fun every week doing this with you. I had the time of my life, Shri. I had the time of my life. Yes, that is a Green Day reference. Sorry, everybody. There we go. He, he, he knows when he brings up these songs, I have to sing. Should I sing, Peter? Go. go. We're going to save the audience this time over because it's not a rap song. And <laughs> if it's a rap song, I am going to sing it. And okay. to all our audience, thank you, folks, and we will see you soon in another episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. 
Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.